Grant Thompson is a YouTube genius. How many of you have seen a Grant Thompson YouTube how-to video? Raise your hand. Okay, a few people. Um, check him out sometime. His step-by-step how-to videos are amazing. Millions of hits on these videos, and he shows you step-by-step how to make things like a metal, a mini metal foundry, a, a blowgun with laser sights, um, Lego gummies, self-freezing soda slushies, which is amazing, and he'll even show you how to uh, start a fire with a water bottle, which is great. The great thing about good how-to videos is that they help you by showing you and explaining. As followers of Jesus, there are some practical steps that we can take right now uh, to deepen our worship of God so God gets more glory and we get greater happiness in Him. The Holy Spirit must teach us how to worship God. And He does that through the Word. So today's message is kind of a how-to type of message, very practical and applicable. Uh, And it's applying the past three weeks to uh, today. So how specifically should we worship God? Now, if you missed any of the past three weeks, just want to encourage you to jump online, check out our website, and to listen to those messages. And I think they will help you better apply today. Let's quickly review where we've been. The overall huge point of the entire series is that God is the heartbeat of true worship and our hearts must beat for him alone. Week one gave the rationale. God is the only logical and acceptable and satisfying object of worship because God is infinitely great. Week two defined worship as spirit-led, Bible-saturated, faith-filled concentration on and enjoyment of the one triune God in the heart and mind, which is inevitably expressed in committed service and communicative reverence. That definition is important for today. Then last week, we learned that we worship God in vain when we make our ideas, our preferences, and our traditions more important or equal in worship than the commandments of God. And we can avoid vain worship if we look to Christ and see and savor the glory of God, if we know our Bibles, if we repent of our vain worship, if we worship God in spirit and in truth, and if we stay close to Jesus. So how do we take all of that and we apply it? I want to give you a step-by-step, kind of like an instruction, not manual, but just steps of how to do three simple things. Number one how to worship God on your own. Number two, how to worship God at home as a family. And number three, how to worship God at church with family. And I think these are the most biblical ways we worship God. So we begin with how to worship God on your own. All of life should be worship of the Almighty God. Everything you do, everything should be for the purpose of glorifying and worshiping God. In Romans 12, verse 1, Paul wrote that Christians should present their bodies as living sacrifice, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is their spiritual worship. The sacrifice that God wants you to give him is you. You, your entire life. That's the sacrifice he wants. You're not dead like the animal sacrifices in the Old Testament. You are alive. You are living. And God wants your sacrificial life to be holy, to be acceptable 
to him. God wants you to worship him by living in a way that pleases God, living in a way that glorifies God. That's, the, that's what he wants from you. He wants everything about you. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 teaches that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you. Jesus purchased you with his blood. As a child of God, you now belong to him. You, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. And so, for those who belong to him, the commandment is clear, glorify God in your body. Your body is a temple for God, a place of worship. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, one of my favorite verses says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Everything you do as a Christian should be God-glorifying worship. Everything. So now take our uh, definition, which I think is printed in your uh, uh, bulletins there in the inserts. So to apply it to all of life. All of life should be spirit-led. All of life should be Bible-saturated, faith-filled, concentration on, and enjoyment of God. All of life should be committed service to God. All of life should be communicative reverence for God. Work can be worship. Studying can be worship. Recreation can be worship as long as in those things you're glorifying God as you do it. But as soon as I say that, be careful with that. Because Christians can use the truth that all of life is worship to minimize the importance of private, family, and corporate worship. They use all of life as worship as a kind of self-justification for not reading their Bibles not praying, not, be involved, not being involved in a local church. Worshiping God in all of life cannot be void of personal times of private worship, family worship, and corporate worship because God desires those things to be part of life. Does that make sense? You tracking with me there? Yes, all of your life should be worshiped, but you should take time every day to worship God by yourself. You could call it devotions. You could call it quiet time or whatever. And you know, I've always struggled with this my entire life, and I think you might too. Um, nonetheless, God calls us to take time to set it aside and to commune with him through scripture, through prayer, through personal private worship. Daniel did it at the cost of a death sentence. And that all worked out too because the other guys got eaten by the lions. Isn't that sweet? Matthew 14, 23 says that after Jesus had dismissed the, the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Luke 6, 12 says, all night, he continued in prayer to God. Mark 1.35 says, Jesus rose very early in the morning while it was still dark, and he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. So we know that Jesus took personal private worship away from everything else very, very seriously. It was a, a deep need for even the Son of God. The Psalms talk about meditating on the law of the Lord day and night. And meditating on God in the watches of the night and meditating on God's law all the day out of love for it. Love for God's word. Just read Psalm 119. 
So here's an easy step-by-step for personal private worship. Number one, take the time. None of this is hard. This is all very easy to understand. Take the time. Number two, read the Bible. Read the Bible. Number three, meditate or chew or muse on what you read in the Bible. Number four, pray. And number five, go out and live for God. See, isn't that easy? Now, you could do some other things too, but at the core of personal private worship is Bible and prayer and your enjoyment of God. Personal worship is spirit-led, Bible-saturated, faith-filled, concentration on and enjoyment of God by yourself. And it translates into you serving God and praising God more and more as you grow. We're simply applying the last three weeks in a very practical way to, to things we can do in our lives. Think about it this way. Who buys a puzzle and opens it up and looks at it and says, what? This doesn't look like the picture on the front of the box. You mean I have to actually look for the pieces and fit them together? I'm not doing that. That takes time and energy. I have better things to do. Well, the joy of the puzzle is looking for the pieces and finding how the puzzle pieces fit together. And then when And that takes work. Sometimes it takes a long time. But see, when you start and you get on a roll, do you know what I mean? You're like, oh, yeah, peace. Oh, yeah. And what happens? The picture is emerging. You're starting to see it, and you get excited about that, and it keeps you going just a little bit more. If you meditate on the Bible and you go deep, you begin to see more pieces fit together. And the greatness of God starts to emerge in more clarity. Meditate on God's word day and night. Do the work. Expect that God will reveal his greatness to you in his word and that he will increase your gladness in him. I I just think the primary problem is I don't want to do it. I don't think it's a how-to problem. I think it's our hearts. We don't feel like doing it. That's fair, I think. So what good excuse do any of us have? The truth is we don't worship God privately because we're disinterested in God. We know how to worship God privately. It's not complicated. And we will do it when we long to see and experience the greatness of God, when we want to express our love and express our devotion to God. That's how to worship God on your own. Well, how to worship God at home as a family. Family worship needs to make a comeback. It needs to make a comeback because God wants families to worship him in their homes. Family worship is really simple, but it does take commitment. You've got to be committed to it. You have to want to do it. You have to believe that family worship is necessary or it won't be a regular part of your life. Lots of passages address family worship, Genesis 18, Exodus 12, Psalm 78, the book of Proverbs, particularly Proverbs 4, verses 1 through 5, Ephesians 6, verse 4, the great Shema from Deuteronomy 6. There are other good passages too, but let's go to Deuteronomy 11. If you want to quickly turn there, we've got to keep moving, so turn quickly. Deuteronomy 11, verses 18 through 21. Fifth verse, uh, fifth book of the Bible, if I'm not mistaken, it says this, Deuteronomy 11, 18 through 21, 
You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house and when you are walking by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them as long as the heavens are above the earth. God is very clear. We should be worshiping him in our families at home. And God's word is at the center of that worship. I don't think it's a matter of knowing what to do in family worship. I think it's simply a matter of wanting to do it and having the commitments to carry it out. Now, as parents, we want the best for our kids. The best. Is best, like how do you define best for your kids? Is best top of the class? Is best a Division I scholarship? Is best fame or success or somehow even safety? Just protect the kids, put them in a bubble wrap and then release them so they don't get... How do you define best for your kids? Please hear this. God gave you children so that you could show them and teach them the magnificence of God so that they can then become true worshipers of God. God gave you kids so that you can train them to live and die for Christ. Your greatest goal as a parent should be to show your kids the greatness of God through Scripture and your life so that you can all enjoy Him as a family together forever. How might our culture change? Just think about this. If more families worship God together in their homes, how would our culture change? If we want to make America great again, as some would put it, how about we start with the resurgence of family worship? Let's hear that from the platform. The family is a mini church. How about more husbands and fathers, pay attention to what I'm saying. How about they step up to shepherd their families as pastor? How about more husbands and fathers say with Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve or we will worship the Lord. And if you parents look at, you know, some of you are very old, your kids have grown and, and you missed it. You missed it. You didn't do this faithfully. You failed. I want to encourage you to receive God's grace and forgiveness in that area. Receive it. Bask in the goodness of Christ that he is your righteousness. And because you failed, you are still accepted by God. Receive that. Trust Christ. Follow the Spirit. And here's the wonderful part. Start fresh. Start over. Use the opportunities that you now have to worship God. And just to be clear, family worship is for empty nesters, with grown kids, for extended families, for grandparents and their grandkids, for even couples who have no kids. The home is a place of worship. And if people come into your home, which I bet they do, don't miss the opportunity to lead them in worship. It can be very simple, it can be to the point, it can be short, but it can be so powerful. 
So let's assume that at this point, you know nothing about family worship. You're like, this is the first I'm hearing about it. I didn't even know we should have been doing this. All right, here's a simple pattern that works. Take 15 to 20 minutes a day to gather as a family and do these simple things. 15 to 20 minutes a day. Number one, read the Bible. Number two, explain the Bible. Number three, discuss and apply the Bible. Number four, sing a good hymn or song. We have a hymnal. We love it, and we use it. It's called Hymns of Grace. Use a, use a good hymnal. Sing hymns, sing songs. Five, pray. Six, help each other live it out. Now, that's not that hard. We all know this. We've, you know, mo- a lot of us, I'd say most of us, have been in church all of our lives. This is not hard. We know what we should do. You know, you could add scripture memory into that. You could add catechism training. Sometimes the shirks add dancing, and that's just Christina and I. No, I'm just kidding. It's the kids. The kids do the dancing, but hey, I will if I feel like it. We do those, but spend time together as a family in the Bible and in prayer. Let the Holy Spirit lead your family into the scriptures so that each person in your family can believe the gospel, can concentrate on God, can enjoy God in their heart and the mind, and can live for God. Just apply true worship to your family. Now, imagine what 15 to 20 minutes a day could do for your family. Just imagine that. It's never perfect. If you saw our... It's, man... It's out of control sometimes. And uh, people talking over, cartwheels, head standing, you know, again, and that's just Christine and I. So <laughs> the kids just sit piously. I, no, I'm just kidding. But it's powerful. That's the point. If we take it, imagine what that little time could do over the course of years. Do family worship because God is worth it. Do family worship because you love God and you just want to proclaim your 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 love for him, and do it because you want every single person in your family that you love to love Christ, to know God, and to grow in grace and spiritual maturity. Help your kids see and savor the greatness of God. Help your spouse see and savor the greatness of God. Start warming up for heaven, because guess what heaven's going to be? Worship. And if you don't like worship now, Maybe you won't fit in in heaven. You see, that's bad. All right. So maybe this story will encourage you a little bit uh, through my um, complete foolishness, but we started family worship when Jeremiah was less than one year old. And uh, we began, Christina was up in Jeremiah's room with Jeremiah, worshiping with him uh, before he went to bed. I was down in the computer room wasting my life and being a detached father and husband. And so she was a bit miffed at me and uh, called down to me. I don't remember how it sounded like or what she said, but she invited me up to join them, and I wisely did. I went up, joined them, and from that point on, we have been consistently worshiping God as a family pretty much every day, pretty much every day. We obviously have exceptions where we don't. We try to be gracious if the hour is late. If it wasn't for Christina, who knows I could be still at the computer, please, please worship God as a family. Please. It's easy. 
It's meaningful. Any follower of Jesus can do it. It's not just for pastor's family because we're so super spiritual. If that's how you view it, you're missing Christianity. It's for Christian families. It wouldn't be surprising if family worship completely changed the entire outlook and ethos of your families. It's powerful. Imagine the fruit in our church, in our gathered assembly, if all of our homes were just little worship centers that we were worshiping throughout the week, then we gather together. Just imagine the fruit that would come from our church. Oh, man, that's exciting. All right, the last how-to and application is how to worship God at church with family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ adopted into the same family. God is our father. Christ is our older brother. We are family in the profoundest sense. So corporate worship is really family worship in the deepest sense and meaning. Now, Old Testament corporate worship was very precise. And if you read the Old Testament, you know, go through Leviticus, you're just like, whoa, okay, God definitely has some rules here. You think of the tabernacle, the temple, the sacrificial system, the priests and Levites, the feasts and festivals. Well, New, New Testament corporate worship is different. Uh, Jesus fulfilled all of the Old Testament types. The place of worship is now Jesus' body. Jesus is the place of worship. Jesus called his body the temple in John 2. It's not about a physical place anymore. It's about the, Jesus' body. He, he is our place of worship. Now think about this. Aren't Christians the body of Jesus? This is very exciting realization. You just go to 1 Corinthians 12, right? 1 Peter 2, verses 4 and 5 says this. We, like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. That's exciting. We are God's temple. He is building us into something beautiful and great. We are a holy priesthood. We who are united to Christ are the place of worship. This building could torch to the ground this week and it wouldn't necessarily have to stop Jerusalem church. We can get together in a school, in a coffee shop, anywhere. It's the people of God, the body of Christ. So can you see how important it is for us to gather together to worship God corporately? We are the temple. Connect the imagery there. You can't afford to miss this point. We are God's temple. Worship happens in us. It's not just you and Jesus. It's you, Jesus, and the rest of us. True worship must be expressed in the context of the gathered people of God. God intends corporate worship to be an integral or essential, trying to pick big words here, or vital or fundamental or central part of your life. Central. Like, really important. So let me quickly address a major problem that I see today among professing Christians. Many professing Christians do not worship God consistently with other brothers and sisters in Christ. There are long-standing members of local churches that haven't worshipped with their brothers and sisters in years. And others who worship only a bunch of times a year. 
these people are neglecting a huge part of the Christian life. And what is so deeply concerning, they don't seem concerned about it. It doesn't faze them. This is entirely perplexing to me. Sure, they are committed to family. They are committed to work. They are committed to school and sports teams and clubs and whatever else. But when it comes to worshiping God with their spiritual family, they have other more pressing things to do most of the time. This is a popular philosophy out there among professing Christians that says, I can be a devout and committed Christian without consistently worshiping God in a local church. Very prevalent. That's absolutely silly. That is like a complete detachment from the word of God. I don't even know what to say about it. It shows gross spiritual ignorance and carelessness, and it needs to be repented of. Now, what's the proof of that? We could go to Israel and their worship and life in the Old Testament. We could go to Psalm 87, verse 2. We could go to the book of Revelation. We could go to Ephesians 5, verse 19, or Colossians 3, verse 16. We could go to Jesus' statement, love one another as I have loved you, and all the other one another statements in the New Testament. We could go to Jesus saying, do this in remembrance of me. We could go to the fact that many New Testament books were written to local churches. We could go to all of these things and more to prove that God wants his people to worship together consistently. Fellowship consistently. Love one another at all times. And for everyone to be involved with this. This, I'm a Christian but don't go to church philosophy is sin. It's sin and needs to be repented of. I want to show you two straightforward passages from the New Testament where God clearly states the importance of worshiping together as the body of Christ. The first is Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. Hebrews was written to members of a local church, and Hebrews was actually a sermon. So here's what God said to a local church through the preacher. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, back at that time, some people were actually abandoning their brothers and sisters in Christ, and they weren't going to gathered worship. They, they weren't part of the fellowship or the prayers or anything that the church was doing. And, and God was saying through the preacher to these people, don't do that. Don't do that. God has so much blessing for us in the gathered assembly of his people. We will be blessed. We will grow. And God will use us to challenge one another. How much blessing is there? Why are so many professing Christians blatantly disobeying this commandment of God? I, I can't make sense of it. Other than, and this can get so judgmental, and God, I confess it as sin if, if it is my mind first goes to, I'm not sure you know Christ. Because if you did, you would long to be in his presence, in his temple to worship, which is the gathered people of God. I think that's one of the only things that makes sense to me. Now, I'm not talking about things like, you know, does a hospital want doctors and nurses on a Sunday? <laughs> yeah, 
okay? So you have to take this within a biblical perspective. But taking a stroll through the woods on a Sunday, how about we reschedule? The woods will still be there, okay? They would be so blessed. Christians would be so blessed if they obeyed God in this area. The second passage is Acts 2, verse 42, which says this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the, the prayers. They devoted themselves. Well, what did they devote themselves to? Four things. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and praying together. De devoted, dedicated, uh, committed, uh, taking time for, to, to do this on a regular basis. The first step of corporate worship is to be devoted to it. Devoted to it. In other words, go to church and be involved. Now, think about this. This is helpful. What if your hand just refused one day to cooperate with the rest of your body? It's flapping around and you can't use it. That's frustrating. What if all of a sudden one day your foot just shows, it just doesn't show up? It's not with you that day. It's not working with the rest of the, of the body. How would that impact your life? When you worship alongside of your brothers and sisters, you are a blessing to them. Be a blessing. Be a blessing to us. Like, I love to get together with you and to, to center around substantive things of life because we're all wrestling with stuff. And, and it, this life gets hard. And so to come and to see, like for me, seeing young men that are my age leading their families and loving their wives and teaching their kids about Christ, that fuels me to be a better man of God. Forget the pastor business, to be a man of God, a Christian. So young men, if you're around my age, please, please. And the older guys, man, we look to you and we say, we want to see you lead. We want to see you with your grandkids. We want to see you pumping Christ. That's so encouraging. Be a blessing. Come. Be involved. Uh, God wants it. Author and pastor Ligon Duncan writes this about his church. Quote, our aim as the congregation gathers to meet with God in public worship on the Lord's Day, that's today, is to glorify and enjoy God in accordance with his written word. That's it. He nailed it. We, we get together as a group, as an assembly to glorify and enjoy God, to worship him all in accordance with his word. We do it together. But what specifically are we to do when we get together? And I cannot possibly say all that there needs to be said at this point. Uh, there are important things that I am not going to say, but I hope that there's enough substance here to help you out practically. Okay, so quickly, here are seven core elements of corporate worship, and then I'll end with a quote. We're going to move quickly. How to worship God in reading and preaching the Bible. 1 Timothy 4.13 says, devote yourselves to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. 2 Timothy 4.2 adds, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. The, the, the reading and preaching and teaching of God's word is central to the gathered corporate worship, and that's why we devote here at Jerusalem Church so much time to the reading and preaching and teaching of God's word. It is pinnacle. Uh, as hearers, you worship God together when you listen to God's word the right way. 
Apply our definition here of worship. The Spirit helps you to joyfully receive the Word of God. You hear, you believe, you concentrate on God, you enjoy God in what you hear from His Word. Your heart is engaged, your mind is engaged, and afterwards you respond by living it out. That's it. We're just applying that to preaching and teaching. How to worship God in praying well, the Bible says a lot about praying, but in Acts 2.42 says that the Christians devoted themselves to the prayers. The prayers. Jesus taught us how to pray, the Lord's Prayer. Prayer is a vital and dynamic act of corporate worship. So even if you're not the one saying the prayer, we pray together in our hearts. Corporate prayer is spirit-led. It's Bible-saturated. It's faith-filled concentration on God and the enjoyment of God together we commune with God in corporate prayer. We rep, uh, present our requests to God and God listens to us. He responds to us. He changes us. He strengthens us. Notice the emphasis on us. Okay, how to worship God in singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This comes straight out of Ephesians 5, 18 through 21 and Colossians 3, 16 and 17. Congregational singing is a time to make melody to God in your heart, to be thankful, to submit to one another, and to teach and admonish one another through singing. Did you ever realize that you are teaching on a Sunday morning? When we sing together, we teach each other. And Tim does a fantastic job at choosing songs that actually teach us something. Substantive theology in songs, praise God. Thank you, Tim. What a song says is more important than how a song sounds or what year that song was written in, okay? Biblical doctrine and theology is critical for us because our congregational singing is a joyful and exuberant teaching time to one another. That's really a unique way of looking at sing, uh, singing, but it's biblical. Apply our definition to, of worship to singing, spirit-led, Bible-saturated, faith-filled. We, we sing rightly when we concentrate on God and enjoy God in our heart and mind and when we admonish one another and when we encourage each other with our voices. How to worship God in the sacraments. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are commanded by God and absolutely acts of worship. They are the gospel made visible. We see the Bible in the sacraments. And they point us to the benefits of the cross, and they seal for us the benefits of the cross. So in both baptism and the Lord's Supper, the Spirit leads us. The sacraments are visual displays of biblical truth. We receive the sacraments by faith. In them, we concentrate on God. In them, we enjoy God. We think about and revel in our union with Christ, our new life, our forgiven state, our glorious submission to our master, and our grace-empowered walk in newness of life. Our baptism reminds us that we belong to Christ and should live like it. The Lord's Supper reminds us of the accomplishments of Christ and his tender care of us, we see, we taste, we touch, we smell, we hear, and remember, and concentrate on, and enjoy what Christ has done for us. That's what's happening as we take the Lord's Supper. We eat and drink by faith. God strengthens us as we feast on Him by faith so that we can further live for Him. The sacraments are corporate worship. How to worship God in stirring one another up to love and good deeds. This is Hebrews 10, 24, 1 Thessalonians 5, 11. 
and uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 12 are about building one another up, striving to excel in building one another up. It's not just build up, strive, like put forth a huge effort to excel and be excellent in building each other up. Corporate worship is more than showing up. You don't just come and sit. That's, then you're not worshiping, okay? Use your spiritual gifts that God has given you for his glory to build up the church. Get, get active to say, how can I just serve God in the context of the church and worship by serving? You worship when you serve each other. You worship when you're there for one another and you fellowship and you meet each other's needs and you give sacrificially. That's worship. As you believe God together, apply the Bible, concentrate on God, joyfully obey God for the benefit of others. How to worship God in tithing. Study 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2 on this. There seems to be a pattern in the church of financial giving. Study 2 Corinthians 9, 16 through 15 as well. Verse 7 says, God loves a cheerful giver. You gladly give when you value God more than your money, more than your time. And that's worship, when you value him more, so you just give out of what you value, because God calls you to do it. That's the essence of worship. The Spirit leads us to give. Our giving is for God. We give because we enjoy God more than wealth. Does, doesn't Jesus say, for where our treasure is, there our heart will be also? Take that to heart. Think of what we could accomplish for the kingdom if we work together and we give selflessly. We can meet one another's needs. We, we can fund the Great Commission. How to worship God in greeting. Paul says at least three times to greet one another with a holy kiss. And you're like, whoa, 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 where are you going with this? Uh, don't, don't freak out. Peter adds in 1 Peter 5.14, greet one another with the kiss of love. And I think the point is to warmly and affectionately greet one another. I think that's at the core of it. Whether we should be kissing each other, just be careful with that. I don't really want you to kiss me, but um, if you must, whatever. So to, I think God's point is we're expressing warmth and affection. Man, it's glad to see, I'm so glad to see you. Glad to be together. Uh, greet one another like that. That's worship, and if we concentrate on and enjoy God in our hearts and mind, I believe God's warmth and affection will overflow from our hearts onto our brothers and sisters as we greet them. I think God will come through there. God is glorified when non-members look to the members of this church, Jerusalem church, as we love each other, and they say, I want to be a part of that. I want what you have as members. Okay, each of these seven elements could have been a sermon, and I just fell drastically short of saying so much that would be helpful to you. But I hope I gave you enough to challenge you. I hope I gave you enough to see how this whole series works together in personal and in family and in corporate worship. All for the glory of God as we do them together. I want to end with a quote from Dr. D.A. Carson that I just thought was so profoundly helpful. And, uh, and it summarizes the focus of the entire series really, really well, and it goes like this. Just listen, and I'm done. Should we not remind ourselves that worship is tra a transitive verb, a verb that requires a direct object? We do not meet to worship, i.e., to experience worship. We aim to worship God. 
Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. There is the heart of the matter. In this area, one must not confuse what is central with byproducts. If you seek peace, you will not find it. If you seek Christ, you will find peace. If you seek joy, you will not find it. If you seek Christ, you will find joy. If you seek holiness, you will not find it. If you seek Christ, you will find holiness. If you seek experiences in worship, you will not find them. If you worship the living God, you will experience something of what is reflected in the Psalms. Worship is a transitive verb, and the most important thing about it is the direct object. Bam! Mm, I love reading things like that. Carson is right. The most important thing about worship is its object. God is the heartbeat of true worship, and our hearts must beat for him alone.